Talk Travel. Thanks to our sponsor, Travel on King, with Sally Lucas returned from her travels. And we're going to stay a bit in Australia. We're also going to take a look at some rail journeys. And mm, there's a certain World Cup that's just finished. We might look at some facts and figures. Can Sally Lucas, welcome back. Lovely to have you back. And um, you've come with some facts and figures about the World Cup that's just taken place. In and Yes, and why Britain. not? Um, the first ever international rugby match took place between England and Scotland in Edinburgh in 1871. That's a long time ago. It is, isn't it, when you think about it? The Welsh rugby team were the first to ever sing the national anthem before a game in response to New Zealand's famous harker dance in Cardiff in 1905. Right. This reaction was the start to the tradition of singing national anthems before major sporting events. And now we all do it. Isn't that amazing? And I the New Zealanders get two bites at the apple. Oh, they do, don't <laughs> they? Because they've got the harker as well. As well, exactly. They deserve it. Um, rugby is the national sport in only three countries, Wales, New Zealand and Madagascar. Now, I didn't know that, because mm. uh, na- Britain's national sport, of course, is, is cricket. But um, anyhow, I think football's probably even more popular than cricket over there, the, the round ball variety, yes, probably. probably. Anyhow, um, yes, now, the of course, it's always held at Twickenham, which is the world's largest rugby-devoted stadium, so that's where the, it was. Um, no team has ever won two Rugby World Cup tournaments in succession until... Just now. Until just now. That was the first time. So there you go. The same whistle is used to kick off the opening game of every Rugby World Cup, and it was first blown by a Welsh referee sorry, as he oversaw a match between England and New Zealand in 1905. So 1905 was a crucial year for rugby. It certainly was. And the game originated when a, a rugby school pupil which rugby, of course, is a, is a town, William Webb Ellis picked up the ball in a football match and ran with it instead of kicking it in 1823. <laughs> it's one of those why not moments. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> uh, two butchers created the Rugby Sevens in 1888 in Melrose in Scotland. And basketball is said to have been originated by a rugby coach in 1891 as he wanted an indoor sport to keep the rugby players fit during winter. So there you go. There's some interesting bits and pieces about rugby. Rugby facts. And uh, we'll come back to Australia right now, won't we? We will. And as you know, Jane, I have just come back from Western Australia and it was a part of Western Australia I haven't done before, being the southwest, um, having done the Kimberley area. But this was totally different, totally different scenery. Um, We we covered a couple of thousand kilometres in two weeks. And um, having a -a rent-a-car is a great way of seeing the countryside. The roads aren't busy like they are over here here driving is very easy and it's so inexpensive you know when you're getting unlimited kilometers to drive around like it only cost us not much more than five hundred dollars for two weeks car hire you know including your unlimited all you're paying on top of that's your fuel so it really is an economical way of of getting around the countryside and we went from perth down of course the coast um through to bunbury bunbury rather in bustleton bustleton was interesting to go out on the long jetty i think it's the longest jetty still is in the world they kept adding to it bit by bit by bit and it gets longer and longer and longer but what you do at the end you can go out on a train if you don't want to walk out this little train takes you out then you go down into an underwater observatory which is absolutely fascinating and 
and all the the life that grows around peers, and I guess it's not just Bustleton where this happens, but you go down a couple of levels quite deep, and it's amazing the fish and the, you know, the coral formations and all sorts of things. So that that was really interesting. Now I want to know whether you walked out or took the train. Took the train because oh. it was blowing a gale. It was freezing, and I th- I was thinking West Australia is going to be warm. I didn't take a fleece. My husband did, but I didn't. Stupid me. Oh, yes. We live in a wonderful country. Don't we ever? So, yes, we had really hot weather when we got to Perth, 34, 35. It was very, very hot. Um, and then it went quite cool, of course. But I guess that's standard once you're heading that far south and all around the coast. Went into the Margaret River wine region, of course, which was lovely. Went to some fabulous caves there. And it's um, the only cave in the world where you can see this. Uh, they call it a table. And it's actually the water has gone underneath it. And so the whole thing is suspended from the ceiling with this flat uh, piece of, if you like, of stalactite and with these huge pillars coming down it's absolutely unique only cave in the world that has it and it's still got water flowing through it so it's a living cave and it's still forming and that's in the margaret river region as well it was absolutely fascinating um so then we drove up um through to albany or albany as they call it it's not in albany i'll get that into trouble if I say that. You will. Um, and then did the treetop walk on the way there, which is sort of between Walpole and Denmark, which was which was great. Then in Albany, I thought I was fit enough to go and do a walk at this place called Porongarup. Saw a brochure on it, nice cantilevered, like you have at the Grand Canyon glass thingy where you walk out and have a look. So I thought it'd be like the Grand Canyon. We both did. Didn't take water. Didn't take really adequate sh- climbing shoes. The 640 metres, which doesn't sound all that far, but that's up. That is a lot. That is a lot. And it was, and I just had knee surgery, remember? It was so steep and so rough. Anyway, I said to Scott, you go ahead. And he, and eventually I, I made it uh, with many stops. And he was about to come down. And I got, he said, I really didn't think you'd be able to make this. <laughs> and, and you did. And well I done. did. So I made it. Having said that, it was fantastic to do. But you've got to climb between boulders because the actual lookout, they can't do a track to it. So it's, you've got to squeeze between two boulders and then you have the um, a stair which is covered with a you know netting, a wire, because obviously you could fall and it's a long way down. So then they have a, a, a ladder, if you like, that takes you right up then onto this cantilevered lookout. But Scott couldn't do it because he's scared of heights. Mm. So he, is he this Mount Stirling? Mm. Well, it's it's near the Stirling River, Stirling National Rangers. Park. Yes, so it's it's, mm. it's about. 45 minutes north of Albany, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Parongarup. Yeah. There are nothing... wineries there too, aren't there? There is. There's mm-hmm. one little winery and there's a little village with one store that sells everything mm-hmm. from artefacts to you name it, to your lunch, to your coffee, you know, one of those little that you get in the outback, which is really fantastic. So we did that and then we went on, of course, after Albany. Oh, and they've got the wonderful uh, war museum there now, which is fairly new and it was fascinating and fabulous. Fabulous was... presentation of stuff there. It was Albany that all the, the ships mounted, from the mounted forces went from. Yeah, and nearly all World the ships, even from New Zealand, mm-hmm. which I didn't realise, they all met there in their flotilla mm-hmm. before they headed off mm-hmm. um, in that in that World War, so World War One. So it was really interesting facts, different to what I've seen at the War Memorial in Canberra. Definitely worth a look. Then we went on to Esperance, which is just so beautiful. Um, that really does not get enough publicity. You have white crunchy sand that squeaks really white in this aqua aqua blue water. And kangaroos abound on the beaches and all sorts of things. That 
absolutely stunning. And then we went up to Kalgoorlie, which was, of course, very hot. Um, and we did everything there was to do there, as well as our son flew us over the super pit, which, oh, my God, that is that is amazing. Three is and a half huge. kilometres or one and a half kilometres wide. It's got a life, though, they reckon. It's, uh, they're saying maybe 2021, a little bit longer. But apparently all the gold now, they reckon, they're realising, is under Kalgoorlie. So they're talking to me about tunnelling under the town now to get mm-hmm. to the gold. Mm-hmm. But Tropicana, the mine to the north, um, apparently they're saying they're getting more gold out of that per day now than they are out of the super pit. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Then we went back to um, Perth in the car, had another couple of days there. Kings Park, which I didn't realise is the largest park attached to a capital city anywhere in the world. And Perth is the most isolated capital city in the world. And then we joined the Indian Pacific for the train ride home, which was very interesting and fun and, you know, great food, everything on board. It was a real experience. And you stop at all these funny little whistle-stop tours where only four people live or whatever before you eventually to Adelaide and then Broken Hill. And we came home via Cootamundra instead of the Blue Mountains because they're doing track work in the Blue Mountains. But once you hit New South Wales and all the greenery again after all that desert, it was just Wow. Quite you know, a contrast. Quite a contrast, but a fabulous trip and certainly worth doing. Who and you RFM, we're talking travel for our sponsor, Travel on King. Sally Lucas has just been traversing the country, and the easiest way of doing that is by train, and it's known mm. as the Indian Pacific. It's an epic journey, isn't it? It certainly is an epic journey, and of course the reason for being called the Indian Pacific is you're travelling from the Indian Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Um, and it's a three-day journey, um, just to let you know that. Um, we left about, I think it was just on 12 lunchtime from Perth, and you get into Sydney a similar time three days later, and it runs twice a week. Um, now, if you don't want to do that journey, though, we've got plenty of other lovely journeys in Australia that you can do. Having said that... Train we, buffs, listen in. Oh, yes, please listen in. Um, the train was full. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, it was absolutely full. And the we had a lovely stop at Broken Hill too, Jane, I just thought I'd mention. And you had the option of doing like a, a tour of Broken Hill or just a, like a mini tour plus the Pro Heart Museum. And these ex- off, uh, train excursions are included as well as all your beverages, alcoholic beverages included and all your meals. So just keep that in mind when you are booking the rail service. Um, but that was interesting going to his gallery. That that was really fascinating. And um, I bought a tea towel of one of his flowers of, of, of his portraits rather one of his paintings of flowers and he does wonderful portraits as well so his style was quite diverse from those more cartoonish style um, paintings he does with more like stick figures you know to absolutely wonderful portraits of people and beautiful floral arrangements and he loved dragonflies so he often painted dragonflies so that was really interesting as well but if you haven't got that much time we've got the GAN and that's a two-day journey from Adelaide to Darwin and again you'd have the off-train excursions and all the same inclusions that you would get on the Indian Pacific if you wanted to do that and quite often there's some good combinations like if you wanted to you know get the train you could get the Indian Pacific to to Adelaide or you could go via Melbourne to Adelaide that way if you're really interested in the train journeys and then if you don't want to do you know a repeat of the train journey you could either fly home from Darwin or you could do um, a combination of a cruise around the top end and then fly home so there's some wonderful options that you have if, if you want to do a rail slash something combination um, you can also put your car of course on the Union Pacific I should mention that as well if you wanted to drive one way 
and train the other and pop your car on. Now, the other trains you've got, of course, is quite a few in Queensland. You have the Spirit of the Outback, the Westlander, the Inlander. There's so many, the Savannah Lander, the Gulf Lander, the Spirit of Queensland. Now, these do various different journeys from Brisbane through to Rockhampton and then across to Longreach, where you can go to the wonderful museum, of course, Qantas there. Uh, there's another trip that goes out to Charleville. Um, you can do one all the way up the coast, of course, to Cairns. From Cairns, you've got the wonderful little scenic railway of Coranda, of course, that you can do as an option. There's also a, a, a rail service to uh, Forsyth and then on to Normanton. Um, and then from Townsville, you can go out to via Charters Towers, Hewand and Cloncurry to Mount Isa. Um, then out of Rockhampton, you can also go by Emerald and Barkeldean to Longreach that way. So there's lots of different options that people may not be aware of. And again, you could do a combination of coach rail, air rail. There may be a ship going up the coast that you could catch uh, to Cairns and come back. So just consider it because it's a lovely way to sit back and relax and enjoy the scenery. No stress, no worries. Everything's included. Um, your single cabins, however, on the Indian Pacific and the GAN do not have uh, facilities. There's one carriage dedicated to single cabins and you have two showers and two toilets at each end. Uh, however, if you book a twin cabin in your gold class or your platinum, obviously, you do have your own ensuite. And then you have the carriages for just sitting only. I can't imagine how people coped with that all the way from Perth. I don't oh, know. Yes. That's a long time to just be sitting, I think. But I guess the other good thing about a train is you can get up and move around and you do have those stops rather than just sitting, you know, sometimes in a car and you don't always stop and get out. At least a train you can move around. And we were quite away from the actual lounge car. So it was quite a good reason of saying, oh, I forgot my glasses. And we were about five carriages away. So you had to walk 28 carriages on that train, Jane. Mm, it's a massive train mm. and only one engine hugely powerful engine diesel engine that pulls that train along it's, it is quite an amazing thing to see and you've got to wait for it to go around a corner so you can see the beginning and it's only when you get out at these whistle stops that you get an idea you know of, of the size of the train which is really quite an amazing thing so some, some of these trains in the north of queensland yeah. are quite quaint little trains too i think aren't they yes and then they've also got what they call the tilt train which Jap japan first started that where it's it's a railway line built totally differently where you, you do tilt but it's it's not rocky if you know what I mean it's it's so you've got different sorts of trains and some of them have connecting coach tours and city work connections and all that sort of stuff but yeah look we've got a lot of Australia that we can see by rail so it's just something to consider when you're next planning your Australian holiday and you know at the moment it's quite a, a good way for us to travel with our dollar not being so strong overseas it's a good time to travel in our own country mm. well, thank you Sally Lucas thank you Jane and we'll be talking travel again next Friday after the midday after the one o'clock news in fact on 2NURFM for our sponsor, Travel on King.